game is never over till the end. Deshaun Lowe's right side. Whenever that clock strikes zero. Caught DeAndre Hopkins. Touchdown, Houston. It's Texans All Access. Texans All Access presented by Daikin, keeping Houstonians comfortable with the latest cooling and heating products designed to save energy and improve indoor air quality inside your home. Check out their outstanding limited warranties and financing options at your local dealer and learn more at DaikinLovesHouston.com. D-A-I-K-I-N LovesHouston.com. Daikin. Here's the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter, and we'll take you right up to Giants v. Eagles, the return of Eli Manning as starting quarterback for the New York football Giants tonight. So I don't know if this is kind of Eli's opportunity to give one last go around the block or whatever it is, but we'll take you right up to that on Monday night. Eagles, I think, favored by 10. Yeah, not too surprising. One team was favored by about 9 or 10 yesterday, too, um, and didn't fare so well here at NRG Stadium. But hopefully yeah, hopefully that's behind us, and we started looking forward to the Tennessee Titans. Now, today we're going to talk to our buddy Andre Ware later in the show. We're also going to have the GM of Lone Star Sports Entertainment. He is also the executive director of the Academy Sports Outdoors Texas Bowl, and that is David Fletcher to talk about Texas Aggies v. Oklahoma State Cowboys. It used to be the Oklahoma A&M Aggies, I believe, a long time ago. So Aggies v. Aggies in some sense. But it's a rematch or a rekindling, that's a better way of saying it, of a rivalry that was many years coming in the Big 12 South. They last played in 2011. So the Cowboys and the Aggies, December 27th, 545 on a Friday night here. At NRG Stadium, looking forward to it. Get your tickets. Dave, uh, Dave Fletcher will join us to talk about that, the process of getting these two teams, how championship weekend kind of came into view and allowed the bowl game to sort of be shown right in front of him based on what was happening, everything that he had been doing uh, prior to the bowl game and the lead-up to it. Kind of had a feeling A&M and Oklahoma State was going to be that game. It had been rumored for a while uh, Stuart Mandel writes for The Athletic on college football. His bowl projections, I think the last three weeks, had A&M and Oklahoma State. So he hit that one right on the head. We'll talk to David Fletcher about that. But let's kick off the show with some hot reads. And on a Monday, that means our hot reads brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. We go around the league and look at what happened in a wild, crazy weekend in the NFL. It was not so wild and crazy here. I guess it was wild and crazy. It just We didn't need it to be wild and crazy at NRG Stadium. But high scoring yesterday. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams. 30 or more points. It was a high scoring weekend. And it was started in New Orleans with one of the games of the year, if not the game of the year. San Francisco 49ers, 48 the New Orleans Saints, 46. What an absolute knockdown, drag-out battle that went all day. I mean, this game was phenomenal. Jimmy Garoppolo, 26-35, four touchdowns. Drew Brees, 29-40 for 349. Both of them threw for 349. Interesting. Five touchdowns. Nine touchdowns between them. Emmanuel Sanders threw a touchdown. 
wide receiver for the 49ers. Raheem Mostart had that reception for a touchdown from Emmanuel Sanders. He also had a rushing touchdown. This game was all over the place, and it wasn't complete until late in the game, George Kittle, with maybe the play of the year, being face-masked by Marcus Williams, essentially a street fight takes out as Kittle has the ball. Two more Saints jump in on it, can't get him down, and eventually Kittle moves the ball down into field goal range. Robbie Gould then hits a 30-yarder to win it, 48-46. to The 49ers get a huge win. They move to the number one seed, the Seahawks, which we'll get to here in just a second, the Seahawks ended up losing, falling to 10-3, and three. and so the Niners have got a one-game lead in the a- NFC West. They will play at the end of the year, but they've got a one-game lead. The margin for error now for Seattle is minute, but they've got to get to that game with one game in between them, worst case, to be able to get that win. It will be up in Seattle. But as of today, the 49ers with that 48-46 win, holy cow, what a game it was. I mentioned the Seahawks. They played on Sunday night in the Coliseum. And don't look now, but the Rams are back. Maybe they never left. I don't know. But, boy, they looked pretty darn good yesterday. Jared Goff, 22-31 of 31 for 293 and two touchdowns. He did throw two interceptions, but it didn't work out for the Seahawks. They're only able to put 12 points up on the board for Jason Myers' field goals. Oh, check that. Sorry, there was – oh, there's an interception return and the K-1 kick missed. Quandre Diggs had a touchdown. He of Angleton, Texas, and of the Texas Longhorns, of course. He had that touchdown, so the Seahawks did score an offensive touchdown. Tough night for Russell Wilson. Did throw for 245 yards, sacked five times. One interception, did not throw any touchdowns. Tough day for the MVP candidate. Uh, Samson uh, Abraham had two sacks. Dante Flowers, sack and a half. Aaron Donald had a sack and a half. And oh, by the way, the Seahawks had none. None. They had four hits on the quarterback, and that was it. Jared Goff, able to get it done. Rams win. Rams move to eight and five. They're going to stay on the heels of the Vikings. The Vikings beat the Lions yesterday 20-7. Nothing pretty. Dalvin Cook, 18 carries, 62 yards, and a rushing touch. Stephon Diggs had six catches for 92 yards. Nothing big for the Vikings. Kirk Cousins completed 80% of his passes for 242 yards and a touch. But the defense gets it done. The Lions struggle. Daniil Hunter, the dude of the day. Three sacks, three TFLs, three quarterback hits. He was absolutely fantastic. They sacked David Blau five times, and it didn't go well. Sacked five times, two interceptions. Blau sort of comes back to earth after a great Thanksgiving game. The Vikings win, and they stay one game behind the Green Bay Packers as the Packers took on the Redskins. Now, you talk about not pretty wins. Aaron Rodgers, not the greatest day. Sacked four times. Only threw for 195 yards. Would save the Packers on this day. A, a defense that had four sacks and a pick of Dwayne Haskins. B, Aaron Jones on the ground. 16 carries, 134 yards, and a touch. They had a great day. Kenny Clark was a dude. He had a sack and a half, as did Adrian Amos had a sack. 
Kyler Fackerel had half a sack. The interception, Adrian Amos, what a day. He, he piled up on the stat sheet. Seven tackles, a sack, a tackle for a loss, quarterback hit, interception, two passes defense. The free agent signing from the Chicago Bears has made a huge difference for the Green Bay Packers that beat the Redskins. Redskins fall to 3-10 and ten in the NFC East. Now, let's jump over to the AFC South because, boy, this game in Tampa Bay, wow. The Bucks get another win, 38 to 35. The Colts scored 27 points in the first half. It was 27-21. And then the defense for the Bucks sort of got locked in a little bit. Jameis Winston had a Jameis Winston day. Tell me that this isn't a Jameis Winston day. 33-45. That's about right. 456 yards. About right. Sacked once. That's a little lower than I would expect. Four touchdowns. Could see it. Three interceptions. That's Jameis Winston's game in a nutshell. But they got it done. 38-35. Now, Winston ended up hurting his thumb. I think his thumb or his hand. Something to keep an eye on. Mike Evans also hurt his hamstring. That didn't look great. Evans only had one catch. He had it for 61 yards and a touch, but he ended up with that hamstring, and that could be a problem. But Justin Watson came in out of Pennsylvania University. Yeah, fellow Ivy Leaguer. Five catches, 59 yards to go with Chris Godwin, seven for 91. And the Bucks light up the Colts' secondary. 38-35, the Bucks will be an opponent in a couple of weeks, and they're getting a double. Those two key injuries could be something to watch for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. In Oakland, the one AFC South team we needed to lose won. Didn't care about the rest. Well, it was good to see the Colts win. The Colts lose. But the Tennessee Titans had a three hundred, almost 400-yard passer, a 100-yard rusher, and a 150-yard receiver. Derrick Henry, 18 for 103 and two touchdowns. Ryan Tannehill, 21-27 for 391, three touchdowns. And one pick, a 140.4 rating, my goodness. And A.J. Brown, the rookie, four for 153 in a 91-yard touchdown. And, and he had another touchdown on top of that, 42-21. to 21. The Titans shut out the Raiders in the second half. It was not a good scene in Oakland. Derek Carr struggling in that second half. Now, overall, the numbers, okay. 25-34, two touchdowns, no picks, but just couldn't get it done down in the red zone. And then one turnover going the other way, and the Titans were able to put this away as I believe it was Jayon Brown picked up a fumble, ran it back 46 yards. That gave the Titans a three-touchdown lead. They would hold on, and they are 8-5, and five, as are the Texans, and that game is upcoming in Nashville this weekend. 8-5 and five versus 8-5. and five. It's time to take on the big boys and see what happens. Speaking of big boys, the Chargers, well, they used to be a big boy. They are out of the playoff hunt. So are the Jaguars, and the Jaguars have more issues going on. But the Chargers went to Duval County yesterday. They didn't just get rid of Minshew Mania. They absolutely obliterated it. And his numbers aren't all that bad. 24-37 for 162 and a touch. No interceptions. But it was not a great day. Why? The Chargers went nuts. Austin Eckler had 100 yards rushing. He had 112 yards receiving. Phil Rivers threw for 314 yards and three touchdowns, no picks, almost a perfect rating, 154.4. 
The Chargers put it on the Jags 45-10. to 10. Yeah, 45-10. to 10. They went on a 45-7 to 7 run after Josh Lambeau kicked a field goal after a long first drive of the game. After that, all they got was a Minshew to Nickel Leary touchdown. That was it. 45 to 10. The Jags fall to 4 and 9. And I saw this tweet, actually, courtesy of our friend Drew Doherty, who sent this to me. Yannick Ngakwe came over to the sideline and started screaming at the defensive coordinator, Todd Wash. That's not the first time that's happened, I can promise you. And probably one of the reasons that Yon gets sacks has not, A, gotten a ton of sacks this year, and B, has not gotten a contract extension. Loose cannons don't typically get contract extensions, and he's been kind of a loose cannon. Things in Jacksonville have gone off the rails. Doug Marone, David Caldwell, Tom Coughlin, man. Speaking of off the rails, the officiating in the Chiefs-Patriots game went way, way off the rails. A fumble that was blown dead that the Patriots would have returned for a touchdown. Now, as Jags fans pointed out today on social media, uh, hey, Patriots, that happened to us in the AFC Championship game, so deal with it. Uh, yeah, so there's that. Then Nikhil Harry called out of bounds on a catch and run for a touchdown. It was a bad day again for the Patriots. Those are just two of the calls that went against them. Tom Brady, 19 of 36, sacked three times, did run for a first down, so he had that big run. James White completed the, I think, oh, second longest pass. Brady did have a 37-yarder to Julian Edelman. And Edelman had a touchdown. But James White completed one for 35 yards, which got the offense going. But the Patriots struggled to run the ball again. Only 94 yards on the ground. They were unable to put the ball in the end zone when they needed to. And Pat Mahomes in the offense did enough. Travis Kelsey ran one in from the Wildcat. Mahomes threw for 283 yards, a touchdown, did have a pick. Travis Kelsey finished with 7 for 66. You had Miko Hardman had a 48-yard touchdown catch, his only catch of the day. And the Chiefs left New England with a win. So, if you're like me and you're keeping track of the four teams atop the division, Chiefs, Ravens, Patriots, Texans, they all won divisions last year. So they all had to meet this year. Kind of a round robin. So they all played three games. The Texans finished 2-1, and one, beating the Patriots and the Chiefs, losing the Ravens. The Ravens finished 2-1, and one, beating the Patriots and the Texans, losing the Chiefs. The Chiefs finished 2-1, and one, beating the Patriots and the Ravens, but losing the Texans. The Patriots finished 0-3 amongst that group, losing to the Ravens and the Texans on the road, losing to the Chiefs at home. So, what does that mean? It may mean nothing because the Patriots were blessed with playing the NFC East and the AFC East this year, and they ended up playing, and they're going to play nine games against those two divisions. Is that right? Six and four. Ten. Ten games were played against the AFC East. Now, that doesn't mean two against Buffalo, but they only played one against Buffalo, and they only won 16-10, and Brady had a horrible day that day in Buffalo. But the Patriots-Bills rematch was is going to be, a, not this week, but next week. That one is, the, is one to keep an eye on. The Bills are still alive somehow, but that's really what's kept the Patriots where they are. They're 10-3. and They're 10-0 basically against Scrubs and the Bills, and they're 0-3 against the three teams that lead divisions, the Ravens, the Chiefs, and the Texans. So there you go around the league. 
scores and highlights and those things with me, Howard Coast. I mean, John Harris. That's just kind of habit. Howard Cosell did such a great job. All right, we get back. Sucked our our buddy David Fletcher, who's going to give us his thoughts on getting the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl together, how it came to, whether he likes it or not. Here's a hint. He does. And then how you can get tickets to the big game. All that with Fletch next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter for your Houston Texans. But now it's time to talk about well, something really exciting that will happen on December 27th here at NRG Stadium. Joining me to talk about that is my good friend David Fletcher. Fletch, how are you feeling this Monday? I'm feeling great, Johnny. Couldn't be more excited about uh, the way the college football landscape is playing out here at NRG Stadium to finish out the year. Got a, a huge, huge Big 12 SEC matchup. Coming to NRG for the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. You mentioned it, December 27th, Friday Night Lights. How about that? The 25th rank Oklahoma State Cowboys against the fight in Texas Aggies. Hey, we knew all along we were going to have Orange versus Maroon. We knew it all along. That is true. That, <laughs> now, that's true. You and I have talked about Orange versus Maroon for a long time. Uh, we. It was interesting. I was reading, I think it was CBS I think it was CBS Sports. They did kind of a bowl breakdown. They ranked the bowls from 39 down to 1, and they, I can't remember where they put the Texas Bowl, but they made a comment about something like that. Yeah. You know, that, you know there's, there's a battle of Big 12 and, and A&M in this game. It's probably not the team you're thinking about for the Big 12, but then they went on to say the same thing that, that I would say. This is what heck of a matchup, Fletch. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, you've got all the elements that you want uh, when you're in the business that we are of, of college football events. You've got the regional rivalry coming together for the first time in almost a decade. Yep. You've got uh, two fan bases that are are very much here in the Houston market and and in the surrounding you know states, and, and they're going to travel in to uh, come in and experience um, uh, the, the final college football event of the year here at NRG. You've got two teams uh, with great coaches that have a good a little bit of history with each other. And they understand the importance of being in this market for a week in the lead up and 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 on game day out here. And you've got a um, uh, really a, a dynamite matchup of offenses. You know, I mean, you've got the leading rusher in the nation in, in Chuba Hubbard. Yes. You know, uh, and maybe he's up in New York for that Heisman next week. We'll see. He very well you know? could be. Well, and, he's and, been really good. And Kellen Mond, you know, has been up and down, but when he's up, he's up. He's as good as it gets yep. in, the, in the SEC as far as quarterbacks. So. I mean, we're 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 just sitting back, you know. We're just sitting back with our feet up, doing a whole lot of nothing, Johnny. That's what we do right there. But no, in no, all I honesty, know you. I know you're it's, not. It's it's going to be. I mean, we couldn't ask for a better matchup, and and the, the city of Houston is going to be a big winner in all this. Um, just to have these two great institutions here, these two great fan bases, and we're going to put a heck of a show on for them. Every college football weekend is sort of a domino effect, and championship weekend feels like it's the largest domino. As you're watching things starting as early as Friday night with Oregon, with the upset of Utah, as you're watching this unfold, when you see Oregon beat Utah, just start with that. When you see Oregon beat Utah, in your mind, what are you thinking about for the bowl? Are you thinking, okay, this is where I think it's going to go? When did you have a pretty good idea that you were going to get A&M in Oklahoma State? Was it literally the, the, 
the, the selection, or did you kind of have an idea like when Oregon beat Utah, or was it something that would happen with Baylor and Oklahoma? When did you have a good feeling, okay, I think this is what we're going to get? Yeah, you know, I mean, it goes back to the beginning of the season. It goes back even further than that. I mean, we having this Big 12 SEC matchup yeah. consistently here in, in, in the state of Texas, the number one matchup, the place the Cotton Bowl used to be in yep. uh, for all those years, and they did such a great job in building up the reputation of it. I mean, it is two incredible conferences you're going to get great matchups. I mean, you look at last year at this time. Yeah. You know, a lot of people were looking at that Baylor-Vanderbilt uh, matchup and saying, eh, I don't know, and all it did was become the most exciting matchup was awesome. of all of college football. It was so fun. Football last year, the 45-38 back and forth. Um, great, great show. And, and that's what you get from Big 12 SEC matchups. So, you know, as we look towards the end of the season, you can certainly see how things were separating um, in the Big 12 side, uh, Oklahoma and Baylor were the cream of the conference. They put on a heck of a show on, on Saturday morning yep. for everybody, and um, the Sooners come out on top. But those Baylor Bears got a lot to be proud of. Yep. Very exciting to see them in the All-State Sugar Bowl. And uh, if, if you want to want to see that magic continue, don't forget, they start the year here in Houston I was going to get there. I was going to get there with so the we'll announcement. we'll talk about that in a minute. One but, school in the SEC made a decision. Yeah, and so – and so they rose to the top. You look at the rest of the conference, all very evenly matched, all great institutions. You know, we had a good sense that Oklahoma State would be one of those options, mm-hmm. um, but really had to see how things played out in front of us in, in San Antonio and Orlando with their games before we really knew right. they were here. And, and what a coup it is for us to have the, the, the Cowboys here, the first time they've ever played in the yeah. Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl, a top 25 team, um, which is something that um, we've enjoyed to have a handful of times over the the history of this game, and, and they're going to fit right in and, and be a great uh, great addition to the history of, uh, of what we've done here in Houston. On the SEC side, again, we don't control it. Right. Uh, ultimately, our, our participant is selected by the conference, but as you saw things play out over Thanksgiving, Mississippi State getting in yep. uh, to, to the postseason, and then just the way the championship weekend went, you know, we had a, we had a pretty good th- a sense of, of who our teams could possibly be, knowing that you know, geography and, and rivalries and, um, and past performances, all are factors in that the conference uh, uh, has when they, when they look to make their selection. Um, couldn't be more excited about, um, about the way it worked out with, with Texas A&M coming back to Houston for their third appearance in the bowl game. But, um, you know, I, I, think, I think all, t- all told, um, we've got about as exciting a matchup as we've, as we've had in years here at this game. Yeah, this is going to be fun with just – the geography, the former Big 12 South year-in, year-out foes now facing each other. You mentioned Chuba Hubbard, Kellen Mond. Uh, Justin Matabike for Texas A&M is yep. one heck of a player. He is a defensive lineman. He is one of the better players in the country that probably nobody talks about. And there's a decision that he's going to have to make, whether he's going to come back for his senior year, but hopefully he's going to He's going to play in his bowl game because it's going to be a special opportunity to go against Oklahoma State. I hate that Oklahoma State's quarterback had gotten banged up. The young guy uh, early on this year had played very, very well. Also, Tyler Wallace uh, losing him at wide receiver. But Chuba Hubbard, well, he's a big-time player. And he's Canadian, so he's going to love being here in Texas for a bowl game. <laughs> yes, he is. But you heard Mike Gundy talk about it yesterday with the media that you know they're hopeful on the quarterback. They don't know the situation. Yep. But he's but he is he has been moving well in his uh, in his uh, in his rehab and his and his return you know is a possibility and that's exciting. I mean you're going to have great players on the field. We've had a incredible history 
over the course of this game of oh, players man. like Mahomes there and There were some d- dudes in this game yeah. before, man. Yeah, so I Holy mean, they're gonna, you're going to add to that, no doubt. Um, yep. But you're also, when you talk about the teams um, and, and the excitement we have, I, I tell you, both Jimbo Fisher and Mike Gundy expressed it multiple times in multiple media appearances yesterday. The opportunity to be in this market mm-hmm. for a week with all the heavy, the heavy emphasis on recruiting yep. this time of year, and and to be able to tell their story and and as I heard them both say, plant the flag yep. here in Houston, absolutely the number one recruiting market in the country. That's something that these institutions are incredibly excited about. Is they yep. both have some of their top prospects in twenty twenty one twenty two that are right here in the Houston market. Yep, there's no question. And there are certain cities that you want to dominate. And I don't know that, that a city as big as Houston or L.A. Or Miami that you're going to completely dominate, but you have to have a presence in that city that kids do not forget. That when they're sitting down saying, "Man, what am I going to think about?" Boy, I always see Oklahoma State and I always see A&M here. I always see them here. That's got to matter. That's got to matter. And planting your flag here is absolutely a must. I think for those two universities to be successful in both their conferences. Also on Saturday, some news came down in Oxford, Mississippi. May have been Friday, but I think it was Saturday. When Lane Kiffin was announced as the new head coach at the University of Mississippi, which matters to us because the 2020 kickoff is going to be the Baylor Bears against the Ole Miss Rebels. So I text a buddy of mine, Richard Cross, who was a sideline reporter for the Ole Miss Rebels, and he had asked me. I had been on his radio show just the day before, and he asked me about Lane Kiffin. I was like, yeah, okay. I didn't know that it was that far along. So I texted him, and I said, Lane Kiffin, huh? So that should be interesting for you. He said, I'll tell you this. The number of Ole Miss fans coming to H-Town next September just went from 3,500 to 20,000. What kind of music is that to your ears, Mr. Fletcher? <laughs> I'm going to hold Mr. Cross to that, by the way. But, but you know, see, seeing it happen in, in real time on Saturday, I, I can definitely feel the energy yeah. from the Ole Miss fan base. And, and coupled with... What, what an incredible story Baylor has been under no that rule over the last couple of years, but particularly this year. Um, you know, we, we knew we had a great matchup anytime you get, as I mentioned, Big 12 SEC. Yep. We got that to start the year next year. I definitely think the um, the eyeballs are going to be turned in, towards Houston in a much different manner than they were prior to Friday night, and uh, we couldn't be more thrilled about it. It's just it's great to see big-time matchups continue to be here in Houston, as they should be, one of the premier destinations for college football. And after finishing off the year this year with a great Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl, get a great opportunity in that kickoff game next year to fire it up again for 2020. So, you know, I, I just, you know, as I said, we all work really hard. I've said it many times. We all work really hard in this organization, in this community, to put our best foot forward in major events. We've got two more big ones on the on the radar, and that doesn't even include couple weeks after that game, potential national champions, the LSU Tigers, could be coming over here to play Rice University as well. Ooh. So looking, to, looking ahead to 2020, it's, it's definitely got, uh, got a lot of fun right there on the front end of the season. But we're going to finish it off in a big, big way this year with the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. AcademyTexasBowl.com to get your tickets. This game will sell out. So get in there. There's a lot of great activities out here. It's a Friday night. Your weekend's yep. going to get started on the right note and a little bit earlier than in past years. This year's game, 545 kick. There you go. It's been that 815 window the last few years. So get out here early. We've got Casey Donahue Band headlining the, the, the Carbach Tex Fest out there with some great country music. You've got games, prizes, uh, food, tailgating, and of course, 
um, some pretty good adult beverages. Uh, it all adds up for um, for a fun start to your day. And then throw in cheerleaders, the bands, the passion, the pageantry that is college football. Uh, I can't think of a better way to close out your holiday season than to be right over here. Man, that's going to be really cool. You've got Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl Friday. You got CFP playoffs on Saturday, and you got Texans beating Titans on Sunday. That's yeah, pretty good. Pretty good That'd weekend pretty nice. out here. Yeah, so that'd be pretty nice. Uh, we're happy to start it off on the right note. Uh, AcademyTexasBowl.com dot com for your tickets. Um, it's going to be a great one. Oklahoma State, Texas A and M, Big Twelve, SEC showdown. You going to get any better than that? You done good, brother. You done good. Thank you, Fletch. Thanks, Johnny. All right, we got one final segment of Texans All Access on this Monday from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris. We're going to turn it over to Eagles v. Giants here in a little bit. It looks as if the Eagles should win this thing, get to 6-7, and seven, and be tied with the Dallas Cowboys as they head into a big matchup with the Cowboys here over the last three weeks of the year to determine the NFC East winner, which is probably going to be 9-7 and seven at best, probably 8-8, eight and eight, but, you know, that's what you get with the NFC East this year. I mentioned that a little while ago, talking about the Patriots. The Patriots got matched up with the NFC East and the AFC East. That's four games against the Dolphins and the Jets, four games against the entire NFC East. There's eight games. And then you got the Bills, and they beat the Bills once on the road. I don't want to say they own the Bills, but they've beaten the Bills a bunch. So you wonder sometimes how things pan out. They had a pretty easy schedule. Even though they lost the Ravens, Chiefs, Texans, Schedule is pretty easy at that point. So, there you go. All right, let's talk to our buddy Andre Ware. He's going to give us his thoughts about what he saw Sunday, what he saw from Drew Locke, and getting ready for Nashville and the Tennessee Titans. How do you describe it when you have a game like that, which yeah, you're clearly not yourself. You're capable of a lot more, but you come out flat like that and it snowballs away from you. What do you make of that? Well, I was uh, kind of shocked at, at uh, the way the defense played to be quite honest, against a rookie quarterback and, and Drew Locke and, and the success that he had, especially early uh, in the ball game. But then, you know, self-inflicted wounds, uh, penalties at inopportune times where you're driving and, and then all of a sudden you go from third, third and five to third and ten. It's much harder to, uh, to convert in that situation than it is a third and five. And then if you're in third and five, you pretty much have the entire playbook open to you where you – where they were on the field at the time and their opening drive, you, you have four down territory or you give yourself that, that, uh, that option. If you're fourth and two or fourth and one after running the football, whatever you want to do, but you get to third and 10, that's the advantage for the defense Um, turnovers in that ball game. I think there were three, one return for a touchdown by Kareem Jackson. It was just one thing after the other. And then as you sit back, and I was thinking about this after the game, just how important one player really is to an offense, and that player is Will Fuller. And I think it's something that we might have overlooked uh, during the ballgame, a player that can take the top off a of defense and, and account for two defenders, and then that way you can run the football. Tight ends get uh, themselves involved in the, in the short to intermediate area. He is a very vital part of this offense. You know, hasn't been healthy because of the hamstring. And yesterday, I think they felt it. Last week against New England, it was front and center just how important he is. Yeah, we, we talked about that. Dre, we made our, our wish list, and we took a little while to get there. But, you know, Will Fuller is obviously hugely important. Let's flip it over to the defensive side. 
Dre, mm-hmm. Drew Locke. And, and I, I'd like for you to kind of go into what you were talking about, about Drew Locke, because you covered him in college. And I thought you made some really good points. And I know you, we weren't really able to elaborate too much on it, just the nature of the game. But what did you see from Drew Locke yesterday that you saw at Missouri? That's one thing. And then the second one is, okay, now that you've seen Drew Locke, now that you've seen uh, you know, Tom Brady, you've seen these quarterbacks, some you've stopped, some you haven't. Defensively, what do you need to do going forward to be able to get to a level where you're not giving up 38 points through three quarters? Yeah, I think when when this defense faces a quarterback that is stationary, uh, they're going to get home. Uh, they're going to get you know, pressure on the quarterback. Yesterday, Drew Locke's not that player. He's he's mobile. He's athletic. Uh, what I saw at Missouri at times, I saw yesterday, and that's uh, if you allow him to start fast, the confidence will grow. He's got arm talent. He's got the mobility I just explained. And it, it just kind of starts to build. And, and once he threw the interception, though, then there were all of a sudden times where Denver didn't move the ball nearly as, as, uh, as, as well as they did in parts of the game. And that's where I kept thinking, okay, sooner or later, he's going to make a mistake. But uh, he just found open receivers time and time again and was very, very accurate with the football to the point where d- – during breaks, I'm thinking, what was Vic Fangio looking at when he basically said the kid wasn't ready to play? Uh, he sat him for all of, what, 12 weeks almost, I think, with a thumb injury that, that happened. And he kept just saying he wasn't ready to play. I'm not going to play him when, in all essence, who knows where the Broncos would be if, if he were healthy and, and was on the field because they looked good defensively. We knew that on defense this was a, a very viable team that could cause some problems. And then offensively, uh, all they need is basically a quarterback to, to play some consistent football, much to the liking of what we will face next week in Nashville uh, against the Titans. That is a good football team that for a while now needed some consistency and stability at the quarterback position, and Ryan Tannehill has seemed to give them that. Andre, you talked about Will Fuller, the lack of Will yesterday. What about Deshaun Watson as to what he was looking at yesterday and what he needs to work on going into next week? I mean, he's coming off the performance against the Patriots, AFC Offensive Player of the Week. Obviously, yesterday mm-hmm. was not the best day, but he's got to get it going again against a tough team on the road. Yeah, I thought yesterday uh, he kind of snapped back into that the uh, the habit of, of holding the ball a little bit too long. And then there was one where I, I can't remember the defender's name that had a fr- had free run on, a free run on him and he just didn't even see him. And it could have been a lot worse than it actually was. But uh, trying to make big plays after being down, uh, you're still within well within your game plan if you're down 14 points. And I think I made a comment during the game that against Vicks, Vic Fangio's defense, the, getting the ball out is a premium because uh, they're going to play some zone. They're going to play some, uh, you know, a little bit of man here and there and across the board. They're going to play some – they'll give you some zone blitz. But if the ball's coming out and on time and you're uh, up to speed and pre-snap reads, then you're going to protect yourself and you'll be able to move the football much to the grin of what they did early in that ball game yesterday. And then all of a sudden he started to hold it. Uh, things started happening, holding it, and then throwing it late uh, caused a couple of interceptions, especially the one later. Uh, th- those are things that he had basically gotten himself away from. But 
being down in a game and you're trying to will your team to a, to a comeback win, you, you will tend to do that. But you just have to remember, if you're still within striking distance, then you stick to the game plan. Dre, Nashville, Sunday. It's as mm. big as it can get during the season. Ryan Tannehill yeah. playing out of his mind. Derrick Henry has been very hard to tackle the last two years, basically. And now A.J. Brown from Ole Miss, the rookie, has been making plays week in and week out. This offense terrifies me because they had 552 yards at Oakland and probably left another 100 out on the field, it seemed. But to me, the key is, ends up being Ryan Tannehill. With him at quarterback, the change of scenery to Nashville, I mean, it goes without saying that it's done wonders for him. Do you think, A, that he can replicate that success Sunday against the Texans? B, do you think he's the long-term answer for the Titans to do that? He's, he's very much like what you just had a chance to see yesterday, Johnny. I mean, he's athletic. Uh, the guy played receiver at Texas A&M. He's got speed. He's got, uh, he can move around. He's got an accurate arm. He saw, I saw that yesterday. I uh, got home in time to, uh, to turn that game on and, and catch about uh, just about three quarters of it. So um, I, I thought that I, I think he's a lot like Drew Locke, maybe not quite the velocity, but it's not far off. Uh, the accuracy is, is there and the mobility is there. That, those are quarterbacks that have caused uh, the Texans problems on defense. And so you've got to, you got to make sure that you keep him bottled up. You got to make sure you get home. You got to get hits on the quarterback like you did against Brady. Not allow him to escape because he is accurate when uh, when he escapes the pocket. And he's got weapons. Uh, Brown, the receiver, now is starting to to really step up. I had a hell of a day yesterday. And Derrick Henry, I'm not sure he'll be 100 percent um, by Sunday, but he was what he, whatever percent he was yesterday was good enough because he he, he looked good. In, uh, in a win over the Raiders on the road. So it, it, it will be a tall order uh, going on the road, it, it, but it is doable. That's, that's the good thing. Andre, psychologically, though, how do you bounce back mentally from this? They've done it before, and they've done it as recently as Baltimore to Indy, and yeah. they were able to beat the Colts, and now they've got to do it going on the road to Nashville. Yeah, it felt like, uh, and I said this at the time after the Baltimore game, that that's you know, it's a 16-game schedule. You're bound to have a game that, that looks that way, and you just hope to have enough uh, enough stuff to win the football game. Well, sometimes there's two in a season in a 16-game schedule, and how you bounce back is uh, is the most important thing. I, I think uh, I've, I've always wanted to just forget the game and let's move on to the next one. So they'll take a peek at it and then start to get themselves ready for Tennessee. It's, it's, uh, now it's, you want to right or wrong. You can't wait to get yourself back on the field. Uh, the coaches want to get the game plan in and, and start to work on it and, and, and turn the page on this thing. And I think they'll be ready, uh, definitely ready to play in Nashville next week. Okay, I'm going to ask both of you guys this because mm-hmm. he has broken our hearts many, many times. Adam Schefter tweeted about 20 minutes ago. Get your thoughts. Dre, start with you. Colts kicker Adam Vinatieri will undergo season-ending knee surgery and will be placed on IR. Do you Mm. think it ends his career? And if it does, what do you have to say about Adam Vinatieri? Greatest kicker of all time or no? Yes. uh, I think so. I I think so. Morton Anderson was pretty good, but uh, this this guy has has had some – some uh, clutch kicks as well. Is it his plant knee or is it his, is his kicking? Kicking. You had to ask. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Not sure. 
Certainly, if it's if it's the kicking leg, it certainly ends it uh, because you were starting to see uh, the 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 you're starting to see the diminishing effects uh, mm-hmm. as as the season progressed, and it was probably because there was obviously something going on. But I, I think twenty what is it twenty one twenty two years of doing doing this it's it's uh it's probably about time. Well, the other thing is the amount of clutch kicks he's been afforded the opportunity to try, right? Playing for the Patriots, playing for the Colts, being in those situations with those really good teams when he's been on them, that's also a big plus for him, and he's taking advantage of those opportunities. He's 24 years. 24 years, yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. Here's Mm -hmm. one for you guys. When he goes Mm -hmm. into the Hall of Fame, Mm -hmm. does he go in as a Patriot or does he go in as a Colt? I was just thinking the same thing. I was thinking the exact same thing. It's funny because as much as we think of the early Super Bowl wins with the Patriots, I still think of him, well, that's what he is right now, a Colt. And I think maybe that's what he does, I say with a question mark. I don't know. Good question. First year he was in Indy, they won They won the Super Bowl in 2006. So, I, man, I don't know. If I'm him, I probably want to go in as a Colt. Maybe. I'd probably want to go as a yeah. cold. Drake, thanks a lot for being with us. We'll catch up later in the week. All right, guys. Have a good one. That's a good pal, Andre Ware, joining us on Texans All Access. All right, before we go, if you guys have not been following this story today, it is absolutely unbelievable. This happened in Cleveland over the weekend. Now, Cleveland was playing Cincinnati, and it's important because Cincinnati's next opponent is – the New England Patriots. Cincinnati head coach Zach Taylor was asked on Monday whether he could confirm that the Patriots, the New England Patriots, had staff, wait for it, videotaping their play calls during the Bengals' 27-19 Week 14 loss to the Browns. Coach Taylor said no comment and the Bengals are aware. Ian Rappaport then followed up with a couple of tweets and he said, Via source informed the Patriots situation, the team reached out to the Browns for a credential for a videographer to shoot a behind-the-scenes piece on an advanced scout. It's called Do Your Job. If you haven't seen it, it's pretty good. And they, the videographer apparently shot B-roll in the press box. The Pats didn't ask the league until afterwards. However, they did ask the Browns, and they had a credential from the Browns. Obviously, the Bengals didn't know about this. So... It sounds and sounded as if, okay, this is, you know, kind of a just case of miscommunication. Oh, okay. I'm not sure the Bengals looked at it quite that way, but they're like, all right, whatever. Now, Diane Rossini from ESPN then later posted this. A source tells me a Bengals employee was watching the videographer slash cameraman who identified himself as a Robert Kraft employee. The Bengals employee kept an eye on that monitor. The shot was of the Bengals coaches and staff on the sidelines for the entire first quarter. The Bengals employee flagged media relations. Bengals security then interviewed the craft videographer. This was also taped. The cameraman asked if they could just delete the footage and it all be forgotten per sources. Sources say there was a guy interviewing a Patriots pro scout before the game, but that was over when the game started. The Patriots no longer have the tape. Rossini called the Bengals, and they will not release it to ESPN. The league also has it. Now, what's interesting in all this is everything works through radio headset. So 
why would you film the sideline? Now, back in 2007, it wasn't that way when they were filming, apparently, for Spygate. This is not quite that way. So I don't know exactly what this might mean. Who knows? But this is a crazy situation now, and we'll see what happens. Bill Belichick said they're on to Cincinnati, and, well, sounds like Cincinnati was on to them at some point, and we'll see what uh, transpired. I'm, maybe this is all much ado about nothing, but if the Patriots are involved in the word videotaping is used, oh, it's not not nothing. Does that make sense? It's something. Is that right? I don't know. Either way, it's not nothing. It's something. Crazy stuff going on in the NFL. All right, appreciate you guys listening. We got Giants and Eagles coming up right here on our flagship Sports Radio 610. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.